Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. Today's guest is a musical theater performer turned makeup artist and now CEO of the clean and green cosmetic line, Erin's Faces. Erin is not only all hustle, she's all heart, and I'm delighted to have her join us. Welcome, Erin. That's so nice. Thank you, Sherry. (laughs) You know I love you. I love you, too. So let's start. How on earth did you transition from a makeup artist to being the CEO of a cult clean beauty line? Um, very clunkily. <laughs> I think I was doing, I had started in retail, um, working at makeup and skincare counters in New York City after moving here to do musical theater. And I needed a job that was flexible. Um, so I started doing that. And then I started down a more editorial path with makeup. And I found that I just wasn't emotionally fulfilled by making really beautiful people look more beautiful. I wanted more purpose. And so the seed for Aaron's Faces was planted with that. And I didn't know anything about building a business, having a brand, sourcing anything. And I learned everything by doing everything wrong, like (laughs) three different ways. was the right way and it happened with everything (laughs) okay so tell us one thing that you did wrong three times that you you remember I mean basic things like how to best package like an item you know and how to best fill an item uh a bottle because I hand fill everything um and who to where to invest uh we were and I say it's like the royal we. It was just me for <laughs> seven years. And we're about nine years and change in. And now, now I have people, but in the beginning, it was just me. But, you know, I was approached by a website at one point that wanted to carry our stuff online. And they had minimum requirements that we had to have um, stock on hand. And it was a huge investment for me to do it. Uh, because it was all drop shipping. So it was kind of on the honor system. But if I tell you that I'll have stock on hand, then I am going to have it. And so A, they had the requirement of stock on hand when it was drop shipping, which is stupid. And B, I did this big investment of all this makeup and skincare that they wanted me to have way more than I sold normally, you know, that I normally had on my shelves. Um, And then literally the next month after I had purchased everything, they folded. Oh my God. And I was like, what do I do? And I called my dad who (laughs) um, is not financially involved in our company, but is a smart financial person. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And he was like, okay, well, a lot of that stuff is going to be good for a while. So don't worry. You got blush and eyeshadow that has a long shelf life. So, and then just push the stuff that doesn't, you know, so you can move it and get rid of it. Um, not get rid of it, but you know, get it 
sold, uh-huh. throw it out. So I learned in that moment, don't, don't do things that feel too big, you know, or if you do, you have to be able to handle it if it doesn't work out. I think I'm not someone that worst case scenarios things very often, but I think it is intelligent to do that. Like if I do this and the world falls apart, which is kind of happening right, right now, now yeah. um, then what will, what will happen to your business? Will it be able to survive? And mm-hmm. that's just not something that I was used to doing because I I was so like, I'm going to move to New York City and sing songs and you know, <laughs> be on stage because I love it. And I'm very heart led. So I think that practical side has taken a longer amount of time to settle in. It, it's very much with me now, but in the beginning, it was not. It's a long answer. It's, I have the same relationship with my dad and I yeah. think- Oh, that's I'm, right. Yep. And I'm a creative and it's like, okay, I'm going to just go do this. And it's like, now all of a sudden yeah. you're like doing accounting and you're yeah. doing, yeah. and you know, I work audits, like and, yeah. work with audits and you're like, okay, great. I'd love to do this much math. Awesome. Yeah. Or like employee benefits and you don't even know what that means, but yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. so we're lucky that we have advisors like our dads because yeah. there's no one else you could trust more. It's, it's such a gift. So you turned me on to clean green beauty. You know, I don't, you know me, I don't wear that much makeup. I don't even know, but tell people who don't know what it is, what clean and green beauty is. And if I'm saying it wrong and there's different ways to say it, you tell me. No, I think that's, I think you're saying it right. I mean, the challenge with clean or green beauty is there really isn't a firm line in the sand for what it constitutes. I think people make claims, but none of it is legally binding if that makes sense. So anyone can say they're clean and green. I think for for me, what we've chosen to do is um, be plant-based as much as possible. We started as a conventional brand. So um, some of our products that are from the original lineup are cleaner than conventional beauty products, but maybe aren't as clean as the cleanest of the clean, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So like they don't have parabens, synthetic fragrance isn't happening, petroleum and petrolatum are not ingredients that are happening, you know, stuff like that. That's really basic stuff, but like there's a whole ingredient deck that like we don't use. And um, I think like chemical sunscreens, I have a blog post on that. If you've never heard of that, you can go to our website and look at it. You know, I just started once I, i I'm not speaking very eloquently, but I had a very firm background in skincare and makeup and doing makeup. No one was using clean brands on the red carpet or on at fashion week when I was doing makeup for those things. Like they just were not mainstream because if they existed, they didn't hold up well. And so it wasn't my background, but as I learned more, about petroleum and lip gloss and how you eat whatever's on your mouth. So maybe petroleum in your body isn't good because it's linked to this, that, and the other. Then I didn't want to sell a petroleum-based lip gloss anymore. And then you learn about dyes and your skincare and, you know, sulfates and your face wash and this and this and all those. We had cleansers that had sulfates, dyes, and synthetic fragrance. And as I learned more about that, 
as the clean movement became more evident to me and I wanted to learn more about it because I feel really responsible about what we're putting on people's skin and what we're asking people to give us their money for. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of money when I started my brand and anytime I bought anything, like it was a really intentional purchase. And so I take people trusting me with their money really seriously. So I think that clean beauty brands tend to feel that way. And I think you tend to find them in the smaller indie brands. That seems to be where most of them are growing from. I don't see a lot of big brands doing it, which is a shame because they could change the entire industry, but I'm sure they'll get there soon. <laughs> I think it's a big machine to to navigate when you're that big. It right? is. It is. Okay. So this is just my own curiosity because I'm so okay. obsessed with this, but how did you go about like figuring out how to formulate and test and produce your first product? So my first product is a brush. <laughs> so uh, there was no testing. Well, there was testing, but there was no formulating. With the stuff that actually had a formula, uh, I worked with labs. I was not someone that mixed everything up in my kitchen and then had to figure out how to scale it. I went straight to labs because I, I felt confident that that was not where my talents were. Mm -hmm. I didn't study chemistry. I don't, you know, I know how I want things to feel. I know how I want them to perform. I know ingredients. I know a whole lot more now than I knew then. And we do have some uh, products that we make in-house because I just made them for me. And then friends and family would want to take it home. Like our mosquito repellent, like we make that at the office. Mm -hmm. and. Um, our scrubs, we make those. So, but generally speaking for like the serums and the moisturizers and the cleansers and things like that, we will work with labs who um, have chemistry degrees. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. Okay. Okay. So I remember my, in my business, like my first, I guess I would call it campaign or brand that actually mm -hmm. gave, handed me, <clears throat> excuse me, handed me a check. Do you remember what your first, your first online sale and what it felt like? I, I remember there are two things that come to mind with this. So I started Aaron's Faces in November of 2011 um, in a party room in Tribeca in my friend's apartment building. <laughs> and um, like 20 or 30 friends came, which felt enormous to me. And, and then, you know, and they bought stuff and then it was kind of like crickets. So I went to, it came to me to, um, go to Texas because I had family there because that's where I'm from and do like a Mary Kay party for mm -hmm. lack of a better way of saying it. And so I did that in Dallas, Fort Worth and Houston. And I just knew that I had to sell $2,000 of product because my margins were not good at the time. They were like 50%. And I knew that I had to sell $2,000 worth of products so I could spend, so I could cover my flight and buy a new computer because my computer was dying. So I needed to sell 2000 to take home 1000 which would cover my flight and a new computer. And the first night we did one, four people came and I think I sold $150. <laughs> And I was like, this is terrible. I don't know how this is going to work. 
And I had been really clear that my motive in having air in spaces was to love people, which sounds cheesy, but that's what I wanted to do. And so I was like, look, if that's your motive, then it doesn't matter. It's not about your motive is not to make money. Your motive was to love people. So freaking act like it and get it together. And I was like, all right. So then the next night we made $1,800. Wow. And then, yeah. And through the course of the six or seven that I had that week, I think I sold $9,000. Yeah. And every night I would lie in bed and just cry because I was so overcome with the demonstration of supply, for lack of a better way of saying it, and how well it was going and how provided I felt I'm churchy. So I just felt really provided for. And I felt like I'd gotten a really good check on that first night, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it really helped me set my course. So that comes to mind. And then the other thing that comes to mind is we always do a Black Friday sale. And I remember I just moved to New Jersey. This was like four years ago, three, four years ago. And I was looking at last year's numbers and I was like, okay, you know, hopefully it'll be up a little bit. you know, because that's what you hope. And I didn't have anybody here that I knew or worked with really yet. And I, the order started coming. And on the first day, Friday, I was so excited. I was like, this is awesome. We're doing great. And then they kept coming because we did it (laughs) Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and they kept coming. And by Sunday, I was crying a bit. I'm, crying a lot in a lot of these stories, (laughs) but we did three times the amount that we had done the year before, which is amazing. But I had no idea how I was going to do it because I hadn't stocked the shelves appropriately. I didn't have people to help me get orders out. It was very overwhelming. It was a wonderful problem to have, but I was very, very overwhelmed. It reminds me of there's a there was a commercial like that, like a GoDaddy commercial, like they put their site up and all of a sudden like everything is like coming in and they're like, now what? Gone. What do we? Yeah, yeah. It was it was very much like that, and it's awesome. And I mean, mind you, there were years before that where it was nothing, you know. So, um, but that particular year is where I was like, oh, okay, this is the thing, and we're doing okay, okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's because 2011, I mean, now we're in a different place, right? You were probably right. ahead, ahead, ahead of what you, I mean, I also launched in the influencer space in 2010 and yeah, it was years of like crickets. Yeah. And, you know, so if you don't give up and you believe in something and you do it with passion and purpose and I, you know, but the other funny thing is you keep saying me and we, like it's just, it was just you. I, I used to have a fake employee named Amy Miller because I was- Amazing! Yeah, I was embarrassed and she had a fake email and when people would actually respond to an email, Amy Miller would write back because she was employee number two. (laughs) I love it. I've I've definitely um, done that too. And she sometimes still works for us. So I'm not going (laughs) to say her name. Okay. Well, um, so I'm just obsessed with the content because like forgetting influencer marketing, you're just on social and everything that you do with your content is so real and just, it touches on so many different like heartstrings. And so where do you find the inspiration for this content and how do you go about doing this? That's so nice of you to say, first of all, thank you very much. Um, because I don't really feel like that all the time. But I think 
I don't plan it, which I don't think is mentally healthy for me. <laughs> um, but I think I just kind of go, how am I feeling right now? And so, I mean, I plan some things, like I'll plan like emails that we're going to write, but mm -hmm. for social, I don't really plan it. I just kind of go, this is what I feel like talking about right now. And I try and I think it's important to me. Again, it's that trust factor that I really want to build trust with our clients. And if I'm feeling something that feels uncomfortable, I think I have to be comfortable sharing it. But I think it, if it feels uncomfortable, it's probably pretty important to share because I'm probably not the only person feeling that way. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it doesn't really feel like it is in line with what I'm doing. For instance, um, I wrote a blog post that I think it was called like, am I too big to run yeah. a company? Obsessed. That was a great, great uh, obsessed. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I had known I wanted to write about that as a blog post, but I was like, I just don't know how to, how to do this because in the beauty industry, I don't look like the people that are marketing beauty to you. Like I just don't. And I used to be thinner too. So I think the struggle of that feeling like, oh, would we be doing better if I was skinny? Oh <laughs> and my God. Would I, and I, you know, but you know, you have, I have had that thought, like, would we be more successful if I was thinner? And would my picture, you know, I would look at pictures and if my stomach was showing, you know, from a side angle and I wasn't sucking in, I was like, well, that's going to get cropped, you know? And I was like, this is so annoying. Like, who cares? And I really wanted to examine why I felt that way. What was the messaging that I had received and allowed to influence my feelings, for lack of a better word. And I think it does have something to do with my business. Um, it does have the concept of beauty, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and what does that mean? And it actually was really helpful because I went back through and was redoing our site just because we had to update it. And I was like, I don't want to send anyone the message that they need to change something about themselves to be more physically appealing. So I deep dove into every single product, um, that description that we have, because I was, I was like, I don't want to contribute to this. And fortunately, I don't think I, when I went back through, I was grateful that I don't think we really were doing that but there was still room where we could clean it up. And no, pun, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> so I think that it just helps me shape like how I'm talking about myself, how I'm thinking about myself, and then what messaging I'm sending out to our community about a very sensitive, loaded topic, you know? And it actually was the inspiration for a podcast that we haven't launched yet because we were going to launch it on March 15th. Oh my God. And um, so we didn't do that. But uh, it's all about women's stories and what uh, it's, it's going to be called Beautiful Stories. Awesome. And, uh, and it's all about women's stories and how they've felt limited by societal beauty standards, where that came from and how they've worked past that or are in the process of working past it. So we'll launch it eventually. Um, but yeah, 
the long all my answers are long sherry this is probably gonna be your longest episode sorry it's it's all good and it's so and i just i want to call out that article can you just tell everyone where they could read that article because i really think it was just it's amazing thank you it's yeah it's at aaronsfaces.com if you go to the blogs it's I, I think it's called, am I too big to run a beauty company? Okay. On to my next question, um, which is, you know, obviously what I do here at Box is yes. how, if at all, are influencers part of your marketing mix? I think they're definitely, I've, I think they have to be, you know, um, we have really started to really have strong relationships with the, their clean beauty influencers. That's kind of who we turn to the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have a lot of room in the just generic beauty space to reach out to those people. I think I'm a little intimidated by that, but also excited by that because I think clean beauty is like such a small part of the beauty world. And so there's a lot of opportunity for us. It does feel overwhelming to try and figure out who is going to be the right fit because we don't have, I mean, only recently did we create a budget for influencers. And so it's not big. So to, you know, we can't just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Like if we're giving you money, it needs to work out. Otherwise it sucks. And I think that's true for anybody, but I think if you really just don't have a big budget, like it, your money really needs to like stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry. So I think we've found the most success with people who may or may not have a huge following, but their following is very engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if their following is bigger, that's and they're engaged, like that's really great. But it's hard because you have these people and they have rates, and you know, and you're like, are you? Am I gonna get that back? And then I think I kind of had to shift to be like, well, if I'm doing this person and they're awesome and they're selling a ton of my product for me, and then person B is not selling a ton of my product, but they are influential and they're basically like another touch point for a client, you know, and they're seeing it again. (laughs) And I know that's normal marketing thought, but for me, I've just been so like, just trying to keep my head above water Mm -hmm. with everything that everything had has to return a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I'm sure there's ways that you could do stuff for like, whether it's on performance basis or for barter with smaller influencers. Um, what are some of the unique challenges that you face when it comes to influencer marketing specifically with green clean? Uh, everyone has different standards. So like some of your people are super squeaky and Mm -hmm. some of them are just kind of squeaky. Some of them are vegan only. Hmm. So, you know, our line isn't exclusively vegan. So, and then some people are okay with beeswax and some people aren't. So I think that's a challenge. The other challenge is um, these people for the most part are not makeup artists and they're not estheticians. So their opinions are not always what I would say, <laughs> that makes sense. Like sometimes they'll talk about a product, whether it's ours or not. And I've used the product and they talk about how to use it. And I'm like, no, and sometimes <laughs> they talk about something and I'm like, oh, that's great. That's really cool. You know? And I think that's probably with anybody, but um, yeah, I would say the, the ingredient 
limitations with green people are probably the biggest barrier to entry. If you're not a clean brand, it's hard. They will not talk to you. <laughs> and they're also, I, I think this is probably true of most really good influencers. They will not, they're not just for hire. Like they take what they're doing really seriously. They only want to share brands that they feel really passionately about. They won't just do it for a dollar. Yep. No, I agree. Um, and those are my favorite people to work with. They're the most high maintenance people to work with, but they're the best because their community believes them because they get contacted every day with opportunities and they're like, no, 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 don't want it. Yes. Yeah. And so whatever the yes is, their people are like, I'm going to buy that right now. And have you ever thought, this is totally off topic, but to go like, we've done a lot of work with like, you know, people who are outdoorsy that are very nature driven. Like have you ever, okay. Well, I've thought, I absolutely, I think we were, so we launched our mascara um, during this pandemic and I thought we weren't going to launch it because I thought nobody would want us to. I thought it would sound tone deaf to do it. And so I polled our people on Facebook and Instagram and they're all like, please freaking launch it. You need something to not be canceled. And I was like, great. So we launched it. And while we were thinking about it back, you know, a couple of months before I was like, we should reach out to exercise people. We should reach out to hikers. Mm -hmm. We should reach out to like, we had a whole list of different kinds of people that we could reach out to that are not in our general demo. And I think for us, it just became a matter of like manpower, lady power. Uh, our our staff shrunk with this. Half of our people are staying home mm-hmm. by choice. <laughs> and so, yes, the short answer is yes. We kind of got cut at the knees a little bit because of the times mm-hmm. and money. I was like, I don't know if we have money to extend to these people because I don't know if we're going to get shut down. This is, right. you know. The first more. few. Yeah. yeah. So I know we keep talking about it. So, and I know how it's affecting every business. How has the quarantine impacted your marketing efforts or any of your efforts apart from the mascara? Yeah, we ended up launching a cleansing gel for hands with alcohol <laughs> is the name of it. And I initially was super resistant to doing the equivalent of a hand sanitizer because I did not want to make money off of people's fear. And that's what it felt like in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, you can't even, you can't buy it and you can't buy the ingredients to make it. And we have the ingredients to make it because we make it for our team. So I was like, all right. And so I pulled my people. I'm always pulling my people just to check the pulse, you know, and they, I said, would this be helpful to you if we made this? And they were like, yes. So we've been making it since March and every time we make it, we sell out of it in like an hour. Oh my God. And it's hundreds of pieces, thousands of pieces on a couple of the batches and because we're not big, you know, and it just sells out. And the reason that it's doing well, A, is because nobody could get it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then B, they're coming back for more because the ingredients are good and it doesn't dry your hands out um, the way most of them do. So that's been helpful. And that felt very purposeful because we got so many emails about people that felt safe 
now because of that, because they couldn't go to the grocery store without Mm -hmm. something and they had nothing, they couldn't buy it, you know? So anyway, that felt really good. We are so, we kind of leaned into our bar soaps marketing that we don't really market those outside of holiday very hard, but I was like, y'all, we make these and they're not good for the office because it's a bar soap and you shouldn't be touching something, you know, Mm -hmm. is shared. But at the home, they're wonderful because they're really nourishing and they don't dry your hands out because everyone's hands, you know, think about beginning of April, like your hands were starting to fall apart because you're washing them all the time and hand sanitizing them all the time. And I feel like that kind of ebbed as the quarantine got tighter and everyone was staying home. I think that's going to start happening again when we start going out into the world. So we leaned into that and we leaned into our body bombs as hand creams. Uh, Just kind of looking at like what we have that was working really well for us and talking Mm -hmm. about it and just being really honest. And in those days in the beginning um, on social media with all of this, I was just like, I can't talk about lip gloss on here. Like I just can't. And so Mm -hmm. I was just really honest about (laughs) what was going on for me, what was going on for our business and stuff like that. And that seemed to be, it seemed to work. Um, and people, people bought stuff. So that was amazing. That is amazing. So I could talk about lip gloss because your peppermint, I don't know if it's, a, what, what do you call it? Is it a lips gloss? Oh, the lip balm. So your peppermint lip balm and your rose oh, yeah. spray are like game changing because <laughs> the lip balm like makes your lips feel all puckered up. And then the rose spray just wakes me up and just refreshes yeah. me all throughout the day. So those two products are my favorite. I want to ask you, what are some ways during this time that with mm-hmm. your products or better self-care tips that women or men or you know anyone can do to take care of themselves? I think because we're all eating our feelings and probably not exercising as much, a lot of people are, and we're so stressed, people are breaking out a lot. Um, a lot of our clients are having a ton of breakouts. And I think the, the feeling is also like, what's the point? And so, you know, I don't know that self, that whole like self-care is such a kind of a weird thing to say, but I think taking care of yourself is important. And I think the small act of like brushing your teeth and washing your face and putting some moisturizer on is a kind thing to do for yourself that isn't hard and doesn't have to cost a lot of money. So I think that's, I would just say, do your skincare routine, whatever it is, do it. And if you don't have one, just start with washing your face and putting something hydrating on afterwards. I also feel that now that the weather's pretty, you know, everyone's going outside. So starting to do a daily sunscreen, physical SPF, not a chemical SPF. I have a whole blog post about it. If you don't know what that means is really important uh, because of all of the concerns that can come come from sun damage health-wise. And also, um, you know, uh, I think the skin, yeah, the Skin Cancer Foundation has a stat that 90% of aging is due to the sun. And that's inclusive of fine lines, wrinkles, hyperpigmentation, and elasticity. And so if you don't like that, then put sunscreen on. (laughs) (laughs) I find it so interesting. You know, I've been working at home for many years, you know, and I think at the beginning of this, everyone was like, oh, I'm working out and I'm eating well. And now all of a sudden you look at social and like, 
all those posts of everyone working out like uh-huh. are kind of like dwindling away. Yeah. And I, I think it's true. I think that there's just, you know, people are struggling in their own ways. And I think that it's going to be very hard. Like I keep focusing on re-entry. Like what is that going to look like? Um, I know from working at home, like it becomes when you're at home, it becomes harder and harder to do your hair to and go. to to, yeah. to get dressed, like the days that I have to go to New York City, I'm like, oh my god! Like I, so, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's so important, and I think that yeah, like the little things, like waking up, washing your face, and people just it becomes like you're in a subliminal sweatshop of work, and then you just lose track of what's important. So thank you. Yeah. So my last question, I always ask, and I'm so I know. <laughs> curious, so I know you're going to be honest. So name an influencer you love to follow, but hate to admit that you do. Well, it's really funny because I have listened to your podcast since it came out, and I've always thought about this question. I've been like, I'm not ashamed of anybody that I follow. Like, I feel really good about everybody. What I think people, so I don't have a, a good answer. What I think people might have some judgment about is the amount of Billie Eilish memes and videos that I watch on Instagram (laughs) and the amount of like ballroom dancing that randomly has started to show up. Like I have more bachata videos than I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think I watched like three. So now I get Billie Eilish, like I will watch anything that she is on. I don't feel bad about it though. I feel really good about it. Right. Um, and bachata videos. Yeah. Those are that, the two things that uh, everybody, is- everybody I follow, I feel like really good about. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Erin. Um, thanks for everything thank that you. you're doing. You are just like the kindest, most amazing. And I just, I just wish you everything like great success and great love and great happiness. Cause thank you, that's Sherry. What you deserve. I feel the same way about you. Thank you. Well, I will see you when we get to leave our homes one day soon. Yes. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.